Hello and welcome to Books by Old Dead Guys, episode 61. I'm Scott. And I'm David. And we are walking through Thomas Brooks' Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. If you have the um, Banner of Truth version, we are on page 74. We've been working through, we've made it through eight different devices, and we will begin today with device number nine. But David, why don't you give us a brief summary of what we've done so far? Yeah, so device number eight that we were moving through most recently uh, was looking at how it always seems, or Satan would like us to believe that those who live in sin just have it better than us. Mm-hmm. That they, they just have an easier life. They, they don't have any troubles. They just have all these material things. Right. And Satan is constantly putting that in front of us, wanting us to believe, well, things would just be better if you just weren't doing this whole Christian thing. If only. Hmm. Yep. But uh, Brooks is very quick to remind us and, and give us various different remedies and ways in which that is simply not the case, in which the Christian life is far superior to the unchristian life, the life of the unbeliever. Mm-hmm. Even though uh, w- even though our mortal eyes may look and see and, and think for a moment that the unbelieving life is actually easier or better, that is simply not the case. Hmm. Good, good, good. So today we'll start remedy number nine, and I'll be reading today. So here we go. Device nine. By presenting to the soul the crosses, losses, reproaches, sorrows, and sufferings that do daily attend those that walk in the way of holiness. Saith Satan, do not you see that there are none in the world that are so vexed, afflicted, and tossed as those that walk more circumspectly and holily than their neighbors? They are a byword at home and a reproach abroad. Their miseries come in upon them like Job's messengers, one upon the neck of another, and there is no end to their sorrows and troubles. Therefore, saith Satan, you were better to walk in the ways that are less troublesome and less afflicted, though they be more sinful, for who but a madman would spend his days in sorrow, vexation, and affliction, when it may be prevented by walking in the ways that I set before him. Mm. Yeah, so the, the Satan's words here are very similar to the, the previous device, whereas the last device looked at the uh, life of the unbeliever and Satan talked to us about how easy it was. This time, Satan looks at the life of the believer and says, well, how many troubles do you have? Mm-hmm. How, how many sufferings do you endure? Mm-hmm. How how difficult do you find this life to be? Uh, and tries to, in, tries to instill a very similar thing in the life of the believer of, it seems as though your life would be so much easier and so much better if you weren't doing this Christian, if you weren't right. following after Christ. Right. And so I'm sure, uh, I'm sure Brooks has many and various things to say against that. I would assume so. So here we go. Remedy one. The first remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that all the afflictions that do attend the people of God are such as shall turn to the profit and glorious advantage of the people of God. Mm. They shall discover that filthiness and vileness in sin that yet the soul hath never seen. It was a speech of a German divine in his sickness. In this disease, I have learned how great God is and what the evil of sin is. I never knew to purpose what God was before nor what sin meant till now. Afflictions 
are a crystal glass, wherein the soul hath the clearest sight of the ugly face of sin. In this glass the soul comes to see sin to be but a bittersweet. Yea, in this glass the soul comes to see sin not only to be an evil, but to be the greatest evil in the world, to be an evil far worse than hell itself. Again, they shall contribute to the mortifying and purging away of their sins. Afflictions are God's furnace, by which he cleanses his people from their dross. Affliction is a fire to purge out our dross and to make our virtue shine. It is a potion to carry away ill humors, better than all the benedictum medicamentum. Hmm, easy for you to say, as physicians call them. Aloes kill worms, colds and frosts do destroy vermin, so do afflictions, the corruptions that are in our hearts. The Jews, under all the prophets' thunderings, retained their idols. But after that Babylonian captivity, it is observed, there have been no idols found amongst them. Again, afflictions are sweet preservations to keep the saints from sin, which is a greater evil than hell itself. As Job spake, surely it is meet to be said unto God, I have borne chastisement, I will not offend any more. That which I see not teach thou me. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. Once I have spoken foolishly, yea, twice I will do so no more. The burnt child dreads the fire. Ah, saith the soul under the rod, sin is but a bittersweet. And for the future I intend by the strength of Christ that I will not buy repentance at so dear a rate. Mm, yeah, so he has more to say, but we should probably take a pause and just yep. talk about what he's already said. So he starts with this, this first remedy, talking about how the afflictions which the Christians endure actually work for their good. Yeah. That the, that the affliction in the Christian life uh, is actually for the profit and advantage of the people of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love what he said. Right, I'm, I'm trying to find it again. Afflictions are God's, God's furnace. furnace. I was headed to underline that. By Absolutely. which he cleanses his people from their dross. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that picture of, uh, of, of affliction mm-hmm. being that... Uh, preservative to keep the saint from sin. Yep. You know, the, the culture of the day, <clears throat> excuse me, with the, especially with the advent of the prosperity gospel, mm. um, teaches you that Christians ought not suffer, right? That, that health and wealth is God's goal for you. And he's, it's his, you know, that, that you know that you have received God's blessing when you have all this material prosperity and you're not sick and all these things. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just not, it's not the testimony of the Bible. No. It's not the testimony of church history. And it's not the actual testimony of the Christian life. If you no. just stop for just one second and consider what the Christian life actually is, not what you want it to be, but what it actually is or what life actually is for that matter, not even the Christian life, yeah. right? It's not that. So, so if the device of Satan is to say that the life of the non-Christian is easier. You know, I, I'm, I'm interested to see if in somewhere he doesn't just ardently disagree with that completely, mm-hmm. right? Because I can distinctly remember what it was like to be a pagan. And I may have thought it was easier. And it, and there may have been Christians that were looking at my life and saying that it was easier. But it was still affliction. But there was no reason. It was senseless affliction, mm-hmm. right? The, the affliction in the Christian life, and this is what he's hammering at. The affliction in the Christian life is doing something. It has a purpose, and that purpose is to conform us to the image of Christ. Yeah. yeah. So, no, Who, by good. the way, the, the, the testimony of the life of our Lord is not, he did not have all of these material possessions. 
he, he did not have all the blessings which the prosperity gospel would say yes. is the mark of God's favor. But yet, God's favor was certainly upon him. Yeah. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but, but the Son of Man has nowhere, nowhere to, lay his head. to lay his head. Absolutely. Yeah. That's good. All right, here we go. The rabbins, to scare their scholars from sin, were wont to tell them that sin made God's headache. <laughs> under the rod have found by woeful experience that sin makes not only their heads, but their hearts ache also. Augustine, by wandering out of his way, escaped one that lay in wait to mischief him. In affliction, If afflictions did not put us out of our way, we should many times meet with some sin or the other that would mischief our precious souls. That's, that's an interesting thought right there, that one of the things affliction does is it actually can drive us away from sin. Away from temptation. Away from temptation. Yeah. That's a, that's really, that's a neat little point that he's making in there. I like that. All right. Again, they will work the saints to be more fruitful in holiness, but he afflicts us for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. The flowers smell sweetest after a shower. Vines bear the better for bleeding. The walnut tree is most fruitful when most beaten. Saints spring and thrive most internally when they are most externally afflicted. Afflictions are called by some the mother of virtue. Manasseh's claim was more profitable to him than his crown. Luther could not understand some scriptures till he was in affliction. The Christ cross is no letter, and yet that taught him more than all the letters in the row. God's house of correction is his school of instruction. All the stones that came about Stephen's ears did but knock him closer to Christ, the cornerstone. The waves did but lift Noah's ark nearer to heaven. The higher the waters grew, the more near the ark was lifted up to heaven. Afflictions do lift up the soul to more rich, clear, and full enjoyments of God. Hosea 2.14 says, Behold, I will allure her into the wilderness and speak comfortably to her, or rather, as a Hebrew hath it, I will earnestly or vehemently speak to her heart. God makes afflictions to be but inlets to the soul's more sweet and full enjoyment of his blessed self. When was it that Stephen saw the heavens open and Christ standing at the right hand of God, but when the stones were about his ears and there was but a short step betwixt him and eternity? And when did God appear in his glory to Jacob? But in the day of his troubles, when the stones were his pillows and the ground his bed and the hedges his curtains and the heavens his canopy, then he saw the angels of God ascending and descending in their glistening robes. The plant in Nazianin grows with cutting, being cut, it flourisheth, it contends with the axe, it lives by dying and by cutting it grows. So do saints by their afflictions that do befall them. They gain more experience of the power of God supporting them of the wisdom of God directing them, of the grace of God refreshing and cheering them, and of the goodness of God quieting and quickening of them, to a greater love to holiness, and to a greater delight in holiness, and to a more vehement pursuing after holiness. Mm. Yeah, so he talks in this, in this again, still in, still in remedy number one, he, he's still talking. He talks about how... <clears throat> He talks about how the afflictions that come against believers serve to grow them, that he compares believers to a number of different things, to a tree that is that grows more after it's pruned, to flowers that smell sweeter after the shower, mm. that, that he compares the Christian life to, uh, to these things that are 
all the better, that grow all the more after being afflicted in some way. Isn't it interesting, Brooks, and the Puritans do this. We saw this in Baxter. We've seen this in Spurgeon. We've seen this in Brooks. The Puritans do this well. They remind us. And they're not afraid to use the word afflicts in the sentence, God sometimes afflicts his children. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a, there's a discipline. It's not a punishment. The punishment for our sin has been placed upon Christ. There's a, there's a discipline. There's a chastisement that comes in the Christian life. And, man, we're just afraid of that concept because we have overpreached God is love at the expense of all of his other attributes. And I would say even maybe even more substantial than that. We've just misdefined what love is. Yes. You know, it's a, if you're listening to this, you're probably a member of our church. And so you have heard me say from the sermon, you want to show me a parent that does not love their child. Show me a parent that does not discipline their child. The best way for me to know that you don't love, you really love your children more than you love yourself is you just don't ever tell them no. Mm. Right? Because no is a word that comes out of the parent's mouth because they love the child and they want what's best for the child. And discipline is what comes forth from the father's hand because he wants what's best for his son or his daughter, right? It's the same with God. Yeah. And so, so that's what he's after is this is why it's better. It's actually a sign of God's hand in your life. And, it, and it's intended to produce something. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's see. I've read of a fountain, he says, that at noonday is cold, and at midnight it grows warm. So many a precious soul is cold and godwards and heavenwards and holinesswards in the day of prosperity that grow warm godwards and heavenwards and holinesswards in the midnight of adversity. Again, afflictions serve to keep the heart of the saint humble and tender. Remembering my affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me or bowed down in me as the original hath it. So David, when he was under the rod, could say, I was dumb. I opened not my mouth because thou didst it. I have read of one who's Gregory of Nazianzen, who, when anything fell out prosperously, would read over the lamentation of Jeremiah and that kept his heart temper, tender, humbled and low. Prosperity doth not contribute more to the puffing up of the soul than adversity doth to the bowing down of the soul. This the saints by experience find, and therefore they can kiss and embrace the cross, as others do the world's crown. Again, they serve to bring the saints nearer to God and to make them more importunate and earnest in prayer with God. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. I will be to Ephraim as a lion, and as a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will take away, and none shall rescue him. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction they will seek me early. And so they did. Come, they say, and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us, and the third day, he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. So when God had hedged up their way with thorns, then they say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it with me better than now. Ah, the joy, the peace, the comfort, the delight, and content that did attend us when we kept close communion with God doth to speak our return to God. 
we will return to our first husbands, for then was it with us better than now. When Tiribatsus, a normal, a noble Persian, was arrested, he drew out a sword and defended himself, but when they told him that they came to carry him to the king, he willingly yielded. So, though a saint may at first stand a little out, yet when he remembers that afflictions are to carry him nearer to God, he yields and kisses the rod. Afflictions are like the prick at the nightingale's breast that awakens her and puts her upon her sweet and delightful singing. Again, afflictions serve to revive and recover decayed graces. They inflame that love that is cold and they quicken that faith that is decaying and they put life into those hopes that are withering and spirits into those joys and comforts that are languishing. Musk, saith one, when it hath lost its sweetness, if it be put into the sink amongst filth, it recovers it. So do afflictions recover and revive decayed graces. The more saints are beaten with the hammer of afflictions, the more they are made the trumpets of God's praises, and the more when our grace is revived and quickened. Adversity abases the loveliness of this world that might entice us. It abases the lustiness of the flesh within that it might entice us to folly and vanity. And it abets the spirit in his quarrel to the two former, which tends much to the reviving and recovering of decayed graces. Now, Suppose afflictions and trouble attend the ways of holiness, yet seeing that they all work for the great profit and singular advantage of the saint, let no soul be so mad as to leave an afflicted way of holiness to walk in a smooth path of wickedness. Mm. Mm. So he, he says that afflictions draw us closer to God. Mm-hmm. He talks about it uh, awakening decayed graces that it, it recovers and revives decayed graces, that it uh, helps us see the loveliness of this world for what it really is. Yeah, you know. It is not as lovely as it appears. Oh, no way. That's exactly right. And then, you know, there are times, too, where in the Christian life we can, we don't, we don't set out to presume on the riches of the kindness and forbearance of God, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't wake up today and go, you know what I'm going to do today? <laughs> Let me take advantage of the grace of God and be ungrateful, right? But it's much harder to do in those moments when you're really afflicted because all you have, you know, it's not that there's ever a time in our lives where we can't sing with the song that we sing, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. It's that sometimes in times of prosperity, we're more prone to forget that all we have is Christ. Yes. And so that's what he's after is that man affliction serves to remind us of our neediness for the gospel and not only our neediness, but the promise of God that God has richly supplied all that we need in Christ Jesus. That's what affliction does for us. It awakens those things, right? It reminds you, Oh, I've been rescued from the wrath of God. The wicked don't have that. And so that's where he says, you know, to let, let no soul be so mad as to leave the afflicted way of holiness to walk in a smooth path of wickedness. Why would you want this? Yes. Why really would you want this? And it's a good question for us to ask ourselves, right? Why would we want this? Why would I want the easier way? You know, Jesus says the way is hard, right? He says the way is narrow. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's uh, me walking the narrow path is going to be a path of affliction. You know, Elizabeth Elliot wrote a great book called The Path of Loneliness. 
And it's all about just her journey as a widow and things like that. It's fantastic. We read it here very early uh, in one of our small groups. It's just a great book. And it speaks to that idea that, you know, her life has been affliction. You know, you think of these, you know, the great, some of the people that I would consider the great heroes of the faith, like a Joni Erickson Tata, whose life has been affliction and has been the platform through which the gospel was clearly presented. You know, mm-hmm. or, you know, I've got a friend in, uh, back in Raleigh, uh, Vanitha, uh, Risner, who just wrote a whole, uh, study on Lifeway about suffering and has written multiple books on it, who has gone through just horrific experiences in her life. And she is just the, the gentlest soul. She's one of the godliest people that I know. I mean, just straight up. And it's suffering that has produced that. It's not a life of ease that has produced that. You know, when God puts his hand on a man or a woman, he gives them suffering. That's what will happen one way or the other. It's just a matter of time. So, yeah, that's good, man. So so clearly we touched on a very important point for old Brooks here because I just read seven pages on Remedy 1. Remedy 1. Yeah. So he, uh, he but, but he also kind of front end loads because like the next couple, he's going to hit just in a couple of pages. So... Yeah. Feels like a decent place to to push the pause button, and then next week we'll get more remedies, multiple remedies. Oh yeah, to uh, to this issue. But thank you, friends. We're so thankful that you listen to us every week, and uh, we enjoy doing this. If you and if you enjoy hearing it, if it's been a benefit to you, would you share it with your friends and neighbors and let them know? What our goal is, we want to make these books accessible uh, to people while they're in the car, uh, while they're out working, and then just give a little bit of commentary along the way of the ways that it's benefiting us. Thanks, friends. We will talk again soon. Goodbye.